Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome back to Series 2 of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. It's good to be back. It's nice to be back. Hello, hello. <laughs> joining, me is a, joining me, Ian DL, is a man so experienced with computers that he whips that mouse around the screen like a matlock with dead ball. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Hello, everybody. And alongside him, a man oozing with the kind of wisdom, knowledge and presence of a veteran Paul Furlong strutting his stuff on the Underhill Slope is Mr. Craig Clayton. Good afternoon. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome today's guest, zooming in from Ireland. Two explosive seasons at Barnet with a record of almost a goal every other game, an out-and-out goal scorer and one of the final real superstars of Underhill. As the questionably crafted chant went, we signed him from the Irish League, he banged the goals in for the Bees, John O'Flynn, Barnet's number nine. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks a million. Sounds good. And I was on the end of some of them Matt Lockwood free kicks as well, so <laughs> that most. <laughs> yeah, cheers for joining us, John. Number nine or 29. And uh, just for our listeners, you can see you've got your old Barnet shirt on today. Uh, 29, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from back in those days. Um, we thought we'd start by talking about your kind of earlier career just before moving to Barnet. Obviously, you started out in England at Peterborough a few years prior to that, sort of around the turn of the century. Um, was that Barry Fry who was the manager there at the time? It was indeed, yeah. Absolute lunatic of a man. <laughs> um, I, I tell people umpteen stories about him and, you know, you, when we were training, you could, you could smell him coming before you could see him because the smoke used to be flaying on and, and people would be, oh, Barry's on the way, so you better be at it. And I remember, uh, um, I think it was a reserve game down in Bournemouth. Um, obviously, the two first-team managers were there watching the game. Bournemouth manager suited and booted, looking looking his best. And Barry's just there because it was a roasting hot day in short shorts, oiled up, smoking in <laughs> his socks. Like, you know, so he was a. I remember actually when we played Newcastle in the FA Cup and it was just around the start of like player cam and Sky kind of changed that, that whole view. And he got man of the match because player cam went in on him as, as Peterborough scored. He ran all the way up the line and done a knee. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. But um, a really good character um, and one of many I've played with our, and are far over, over the years. Yeah, obviously, so, so you were in and around it at Peterborough, but it didn't quite work out. I only had a couple of loan spells um, before then moving back over to Ireland. Did you kind of think maybe your chance to play in England had gone at that point, or was that always the motivation to get back across? Yeah, that was a motivation, really. Um, I suppose we, we, my club at the time, Cork City, we won the league in 2005 and we played a cup final. We obviously lost the cup final. I think the lads drank too much in the two weeks leading up to uh, the cup final after we'd won the league. So um, it was a bit of a disappointment. But after the cup final, I went to England. I could have signed for Swansea, Swindon or Wickham at the time. And this is 2005. And I ended up coming back and saying, no, like the deals that I got weren't as good as what I was on back in Cork so it was I always wanted to come back but it had to be to the right club and um, obviously then the club went bust in, in Cork City went you know into administration and um, so I had literally I think it was four or five days to make up make my mind up really where I wanted to go my agent at the time was from North London he knew um, Barnett chairman 
and just you know took place like that. But I, you, you'd think in 2005 the clubs that I turned down and I ended up at Barnet in 2008. You know, it was it was miles away, but it was just a decision that you know I, I'd never regret because I absolutely love my time there. Well, as one of the questions we asked John to everyone is, um, what you know, what was your awareness of the club before you signed? Now, of course, we already sort of talked about Barry Fry. So, from a Barnet perspective, a Barnet fans' perspective, Barry Fry is a big character in the in the history of Barnet. You've mentioned that uh, your agent at the time was North London based and, and knew Tony Cleanthos, or, or certainly had a, a, you know some sort of acquaintance there. But for you personally, did you know anything about the club before coming over, or what, did, what was your awareness? I I knew of the club because of one of the magazines that um, I can't actually think of it now. Uh, you're thinking of Loaded magazine, aren't you? Loaded magazine, yeah. But there was always some sort of Barnet theme on that or something like that. So that's all I knew really leading up to it. The week before I went over, I remember it was my sister's wedding and I, I literally left to go to Barnet. It was probably only this Friday gone, they went away for their 12th anniversary. So it was 2008 well, when they got married. Yeah, yeah. So it was 12 years, literally, two, a couple of days ago that I, that I left to go to Barnet. But I remember looking at Sky Sports News um, that week saying, OK, let's see how they're getting on. I'm sure it was 6 or 7 nil that they lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, it's true, isn't it? What am I getting uh, myself in for here? Was it a signal? Was it? Uh, we, we, we had an absolute horror show to start that season, definitely. I think we lost our first seven in a row yeah. in all competitions, yeah. So I had obviously committed at that stage, and I was. <laughs> but, um, but then I was I was blown away with the talent and you know the squad of players that they had there, um, you know, and I, I obviously felt better then when I got there and I trained with the lads, and you know it was obviously a bad start that um, snowballed into the seven games where they you know they didn't have a win. Um, and, and just and just on that, what was your first impression? So you said it was quite a decent squad. I guess um, when you've been at Peterborough, presumably you were closer to maybe the youth team or the, the reserves or that kind of area. Um, was it? A, did you see a big gap between moving from Cork and the, and the standard there to, to what was Barnet then, or did it feel you know all sort of back just kind of straight into it? Yeah, I was straight into it really um, because I was mid-season with with Cork, and so I just went into another season. It, it wasn't like I needed game time or anything like that. But I think at Cork we. You know, we had been the big club in the league. So, you know, we had lots of possession. We were making lots of chances. You know, I think that the big change for me was coming into a squad where confidence was low. They had quality players, but probably weren't playing to their peak at the time for whatever reason. So it was about, okay, I might get one or two chances in the games I'm playing in. I have to take them. I have to be ruthless. So I kind of changed mindset a small bit. Training reflected that and... I was just like, I have to be accurate here now, you know, to obviously we, we needed to not concede goals to win games. But it, I also felt it was a point for me to prove that I'm back in England and I'm scoring goals. So I had to focus in on, OK, I might get that many chances today, but we have to stick one away, which I think I ended up doing. Yeah, so <laughs> did. So you sort of talked about how you came about to sign the club and uh, sign at the club and um, I'm going to indulge myself a little bit here because um, you may, may or may not recall that I worked at the club at the time. Yeah, do yeah. And um, a mutual friend of ours, Kevin Mullen, uh, was also working there. And uh, he, set, he reminded me, actually, that when you flew over into Stansted to sign for the club, um, someone had to come and pick you up from the airport. And that person was me. I didn't actually remember this until, until Kevin Mullen um, reminded me of it. 
so it's a bit of... Obviously, clearly that was the situation. But it was, you walked into the club and I think we, we spoke about it now. Um, you know, we, we hadn't won a game to start with. Uh, was there any point where you sort of thought there was a bit of, um, you know, a second, a second thoughts about how you, how, um, how, what club you joined or... Or were you just focused on on doing your best for the club that you just signed for? Yeah, I suppose for me, I was starting right at the end, as in I'm going to a club who's not playing with confidence, who's lost the you know the first chunk of games of the season. Can I be the person to go in and boost that confidence and give it a new lease of life? So it was, in one sense, tough because I obviously had seen the you know the six or whatever the, the last that weekend before I came over. Um, but you know, it was a chance for me to prove myself and to go in and, and help and boost, a, you know, a team that was struggling basically. Was it Chester got beat five one? Is that the game I'm thinking? I think it was. It was, it was we, smashed we, by Chester. I'm trying to place the game. Yeah, we we, we got beaten by that amount by so many times. <laughs> it's, it's hard to remember who exactly beat us five or six nil that time. I can't remember. It might have been Chester. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So when you when you signed for the club, I think you already mentioned. I think the was mid-season for you in, in Ireland. You come into, a, I guess, a fairly established squad. Were there people that you hit it off with immediately? Was there a lot of so, kind of like off-the-field activity, nights out, stuff like that? Or was, was that not the vibe? How, what did you find? No, I kind of went straight into a hotel. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the, like a travel lodge now or one of them hotels right on the, on the roundabout. I think it was only 10 minutes from, from the training ground. So... I just remember the first few weeks probably were train and then back to the hotel and I'm sure I ate the whole the place dry of chicken. <laughs> I'm sure I was eating like two or three chicken and pastas a day. They were probably thinking, is this guy for real? What's he doing with it? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like first few weeks, obviously, I had moved. It was like a last minute thing to move from Ireland. So I still had things going on back here that I needed to sort out. So I was on the phone a lot back at the hotel. So for the first couple of weeks, I probably didn't um, congregate with the lads as much as I should have. Um, but you know, w- once I started playing, then and found my feet, you know, they were a great bunch of lads, and you know, I, I kind of really hit it off with Nicky Deverdix. Um, you know, he was down from Newcastle. He was actually staying with the kitman at the time, um, Rob Whipple, or one of the kitmen. Um, it was Rob Robertson, Rob Rob Whipple, and he was staying with his family. So I ended up, you know, hitting it off with with their family, and you know, spending a good bit of time with Nicky, Rob, and and the Whipples. Um, you know, played a lot of golf. Nights out, not really. A bulk of the, the squad was kind of um, London City based, so they used to come in on the train. Um, so probably nights out were, were sporadic. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a great bunch. And individually, we had some fantastic players. But for whatever reason, they just didn't, you know, start the season well. Um, for me, it was about head down and can I get my first goal? I think I came on with about 15, 20 minutes to go um it was a way to I don't know up, up north somewhere near somewhere was it uh, I've just pulled the stats up I can't remember this but basic but just pulled the stats up was it Grimsby Grimsby yeah. that's why it was grim <laughs> yes. so, certainly say that about that place to play my first home game and I think that was against Accrington and I scored after like I don't know 60 seconds or 70 seconds or something like that I, I remember we centred, we played it back, went out the wing, Albert crossed it in, I, I scored. 
So I really hit the ground running there, and that's what I wanted to do, make a statement back in England, and, okay, I'm on the goal trail. I think for me personally, the style of Barnet, where we were playing in Underhill, it all kind of suited me. I used to just hold the ball up, get it wide, get in the box where I can do my damage. So, you know, to look back now and think I had Albert Adoma one wing and Yannick Palassi the other wing. <laughs> what? No way. Barnet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, I'll play, play with the likes of Gary Breen. Um, as you were saying there, you know, with Mark Steen as, the, as, a, as our physio. Course, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. shooting practice. Sure, how, how couldn't I score goals <laughs> with his tutorage, you know? Um, so, but to answer your question, I hit it off. You know, it was a really good, close, tight knit team, but you know, there was a lot from tra- who were traveling in from, from city, you know, inner city, and that there was a good, good for young lads as well, like that came through over the, the couple of years I was there who, who kind of fell off the board, and you get a new young lad in. So, there was massive talent, and for Barnet, where they were located. It's a big pool of, you know, a big yeah. catchment area. So I, I don't know, is it still that way um, now? But really enjoyed my time. And, and Underhill, um, you know, family coming over, they could fly to Stansted. It was really easy. You know, my dad used to fly into Stansted and then get the train from um, from London in. And he'd be like asking for a ticket for Barnet. Like, <laughs> Sorry? You know, <laughs> Oh, Barnet, and he's like, <laughs> not saying that. <laughs> but they really enjoyed the club. They thought it was a really close, kind of family um, oriented club. And, they, you know, I, I've never had someone over who, who had anything bad to say about Barnet or my time there. Yeah, well, obviously, you so say you hit the ground running uh, in terms of the goals. You mentioned the one against Atkinson in your first home game. Um, obviously, that was in, into October, the first home win of the season, which again sort of tells you where we were in terms of the team as a whole at that point. Um, but you obviously then picked up a few more goals, a couple at Shrewsbury a few weeks later on a Tuesday night. Um, and as you said, so you found your feet pretty quickly. But with the team not really registering those results, was that was it frustrating to feel like you were contributing, you, you were scoring the goals, but you weren't really getting the rewards out of that? No, I suppose it was just, um, can I help the team defensively then? If I'm the if I lose the ball or we lose it high up, can I be the first one to win it back? So it takes the pressure off the, off the defense. So you know we it wasn't like the defense were just leaving goals in, and it, it was two different units. It was the defense and the attack, and we're you know we're all doing our own thing. Um, I just think it was it was it was a tough period, um, and you know to start six or seven games where you there was no win. It was about how can we build that um, that confidence confidence and momentum and. You know, I, I remember going to, to Shrewsbury on that Tuesday night and they were probably thinking, wow. And we went to Bradford um, and it was a big game up there and they were probably thinking, wow, you know, we we had a couple of games where it just clicked. We were good defensively and we showed how good we were going forward. So over the season, probably evened itself out and, you know, we were kind of struggling for relegation. You know, we probably, I don't know how many games were left when we were saved, but um, it just kind of seemed to happen the next season as well, where we fell into it. We'd have some good results and bad results, but, um, you know, the squad of players and the talent we did have, though, you know, we probably should have been higher up, I, I would have thought at the time. Yeah, like you said, obviously we had quite a few high-scoring games in that season. So you mentioned the Bradford 3 all. I think we threw through all and to Grimsby, 2 all at Shrews, like you said. Later, we'll talk a bit later about beating Bradford at home as well with a heavy scoreline. Um, but you, you sort of you said joined the club in a bit of a difficult moment, and it was the the end of the Paul Fairclough era. Now he'd obviously been at the club for best part of four or five years, um, enjoyed great success certainly in the early period there. 
and then it maybe for whatever reason hadn't quite ever kicked on when we got into the league um, and he, he ended up leaving uh, over Christmas after another pretty core cool run um, one game in particular in all, in all that which I kind of think summed up maybe that for him it was time to move on that things were no matter what was going on was going against us was I don't know if you remember the Rochdale game in the FA Cup where yourself and Albert Adoma uh, scored early on and we went 2-0 up on a Tuesday night I think we were us three were about part of about 50 away fans there um, and it was just and we lost 3-2 in extra time um, do you have any memory is that, is that game ring any bells for you because I felt like that really stood out as a... um, goal, goal kick from the keeper I, I just set off on my bike two bounces keeper was coming out it was an angle left footed shot it kind of went into the to the back corner I remember that goal like it was yesterday um, Albert you know we, we started that game on fire but for whatever reason then when they scored their first, is it mindset thinking, okay, here we go again? Um, so I think a change needed to happen at that stage. Um, I think it became a small bit stale. I, I'd only been there probably a few months, but, um, you know, really enjoyed Paul's passion, but it was probably um, school teacher kind of, um, you know, we'd come in in the morning, we'd have our pen and our paper, you know, there'd be a lot of talking and assessing where we went wrong at the weekend and writing down your goals and all that. As much as that's great, once in a while, it became monotonous maybe every single day or every single morning. And some lads used to hate that. And that's that's it. that's before we even went out on the football pitch to train. So, you know, Ian Hendon probably was the perfect replacement. He had been there. You know, we all knew and respected him. And we enjoyed his coaching sessions. So um, that kind of mix up probably our that change up probably helped the dynamic of the of the squad at the time. Something mildly amusing about the fact that you went from playing under Barry Fry to playing under Paul Fairclough is. I know, yeah. It feels like both ends of the spectrum quite quickly. Yeah. So. That's for sure, anyway, yeah. But, um, like, Paul, at the time, would have been involved with the, the underage English setup. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so he had a good formula there. Um, but, you know, different horses for courses. So, you know, he obviously done well and, you know, did he, he didn't get sacked or left go after the first six or seven games of the season they stuck by him until we got to Christmas and we're probably thinking okay we need to, to sort something out here to, to kick on because you know you don't want to get to the end of the season be relegated and say we should have done should have could have what you know yeah. um, but you know and he did end up coming back this, the next season then to help out again so um, it was a total 360 but um, no, I enjoyed as you say working under different managers and now being more on the coaching side, even though I'm kind of playing at, the, at a small bit, you kind of take little nuggets from all of the managers that I worked under. So, you know, you would take stuff from, from Paul, that methodical, okay, assess the game, write it down, your goals, kind of thought process, but, you know, not to the effect of every single day, um, kind of to make it monotonous because as a footballer, you have probably their attention for five, six minutes and then they're gone. So yeah. it, just, it just doesn't work really. Uh, I think you summarised that season, that squad quite well when you said that you know there's a lot of talented players in the team and, and it just seemed to click at certain points. And when you think about the individuals that were there, Albert, Yannick, Gary Green, yourself, Lee Harrison in goal, it's amazing that we didn't go on and push on a little bit better than we did. But one of those games that we, we really did click was away at Bournemouth. It seems amazing that you know 12 years on that we actually played Bournemouth in a league game and not only did we play them, we beat them down there. That was... That was um, a Paul Fairclough's actually last game. It was sort of game that last a lot, didn't we? Yeah. That was our first win in something like 15, 14, 15 games or something stupid. Um, 
but then Ian Hendon, Ian Hendon comes in and he was he was involved in the squad at the time. Um, I guess it's worth understanding what was what was the change like between Paul Fairclough and, and Ian Hendon. It was just work on the training ground, drilling, and you know everyone at the end of it knew their jobs. I think he had a bit of a fear factor about him as well. You know, he was a tough player, tough tackling, no nonsense kind of player. And he brought that style of management done. Um, you know, Lee would have been his second in command and Lee was kind of more of, um, you, you know, our way to the management really with, you know, he, it was kind of good, not good cop, bad cop, but Lee was the fella to talk to and, you know, you'd be saying, okay, I can't say that stuff to Ian. Um, you know, there was probably a couple of times where we clashed a small bit because he, I'd always be, let's say a ball got bounced and it's coming up between me and a defender. I'd kind of go to, to, to head it, but then maybe go off as if he w- it was going to go over his head or bounce off him somewhere. For I'm, I'm looking for an attack or where I can get a bit of, um, you know, a ricochet or something towards goal where he always thought that I was shirking away on challenges and I should go up and head the guy and break my head and <laughs> open and have blood everywhere. Like, that's what he wanted. But, you know, we had to marry the two where I wasn't shirking a challenge, but I'm thinking attacking-wise, but he, as a defender, so there was different things there, but he definitely got the best out of us. There was a spark. He made me captain for a few games as well. Um, and I, I think it might have been a, a win and a draw or two wins in, in the two... Um, the two times that I had the armband but I think it was the last game for Fairclough and the first game for Ian or maybe it was vice versa um, but I, I didn't really like having the armband I felt like okay I have my job to do but now with the armband I'm probably overly you know trying to encourage the lads or focus on their games rather than my own game so I kind of didn't like that but um, you know for a change in management and, and a kick up the arse that we needed. I think the the management style that came in was what we needed, really. Um, you know, he, he still joined in the training now and then, Ian, and, you know, he, he still had it, and you'd get a kick off him as well, like, so... Oh, but, yeah. We, okay. I remember probably a couple of us played against him in a, um, a supporters match against some of the, the staff at Barnet, and, uh, yeah, there's a couple of our pals that know what it's like to feel the, the force <laughs> yeah. uh, of an Ian Hendon tackle. You know about it, right? <laughs> I think you yeah. took a bit of joy in that. But yeah, it's was, was quite interesting. Was, he was the assistant before, of course, and in and around the setup, and um, well known to the club at that point. He then becomes a manager. Was he a, a very different manager to what he was like as an assistant, or was it just, you know, carry on for him? Was he just as terrifying uh, yeah, in both roles? There was a bit of carry on. Like, I suppose Ian was the point of contact for, you know, when Paul was, um, was involved, and, you know, I tried to get home as much as I could, so I used to always be saying to Ian, look, what do you think, you know, if we have a good game on a, on a Tuesday night, what are the, what's the likelihood of going home on a Wednesday and coming back on a Wednesday night? Because Stansa was so easy. I could pick up a mm-hmm. to Ireland for, you know, cents or a pound or whatever it was. So um, Lee then became the point of contact like that, where he married a player with the manager. But, um, you know, I think, um, you know, we were held accountable more with Ian and you were you were told that as well. So the demand was a small bit higher, even though there was still a demand there from Paul, but it was in a different context um, where lads feared um, Ian, you know, especially some of the, the young lads coming from London, if they missed the train and they could think they could stroll into the training in the back way of the hive, even the, the second year, you know, they were in for it. 
they were told you're back on the train, you're not training today. You know, so there was a lot of clashes there, but um, it's probably something we needed. And as I said, like a kick up the arse because, you know, the club was heading towards relegation and we needed that demand on us. Um, because as I said, the, the squad we had, the players we had, the individual that you think the midfield there, you can maybe some of it was a squad of players that we had that there was not egos, but there was a lot of lads that thought they probably should have been playing every single week. And then it's the team cohesion there when Ian tells me I'm not playing and um, Adam Birchall is playing. I know how good Adam is, but it was vice versa then. He wouldn't take it as well as I would. And, you know, so there was a small bit of pulling, you know, not being strong and together as a team. That might have affected the results then. It was, and then, you know, footballers being footballers, it's everyone, everyone's fault. I'll blame him. You know, the ref was shit. The pitch was shit. It's everyone else's fault but yourself. So I think it's when a squad of players is saying, okay, I should have been better today. And if I'm not playing next week, I know it's because I'm not doing it on the training ground or I haven't done it in the game. I have to take that and I have to, you know, sometimes when players, I hate it when players get substituted and they don't give me a high five or the next player coming on. Because it's not my fault that I brought you off. It's the manager's fault or the way you've been playing. So I think when you get a squad like that, obviously you're not delighted to be coming off the pitch but what can you do to make amends what can you do on the training ground and push on so I think that's started to creep in a small bit um, and it was probably things that needed to be nipped in the bud a bit um, that Ian done I think it's interesting you say that actually John because from a supporter's perspective thinking back to that time I do feel a little bit of that you could it wasn't not noticeable I think we could kind of see that a little bit from the terraces perhaps that at times you know, you go to an away game and maybe only a handful of players might come over and applaud the fans. And, and like you say, we clearly had a lot of talented players, but attitude was certainly questioned, I think, quite a bit. And there was quite a lot of discontent within the support base at the time, um, which I think, you know, did turn as a result of that change in Hendon coming in. Yeah, I think, you know, I always say to young players now, football is the funniest game ever. You're at a club and you're the four-choice left-back and within the space of two weeks there's an injury crisis, you can't get a lone player in and you're the fella who gets pushed into to playing. Can you be training and living your life at the maximum that when you get your chance that you're ready to take it and next thing you have a career, you're playing in the Premier League. So it, it, it's about, it's obviously hard to get into players' mindset that that could happen because you're fourth choice. You know, you're way down the pecking order. So I think Ian, you know, as I said, lads coming in late, off the train, thinking that, you know, this is like, not a pub team, but it's, it's amateur and, you know, I don't have to do what I needed to do. I think he changed that a small bit. And it's not even the fear factor, it's just the demand. You know, we were all culpable for if, you know, as I said, a forward is, is culpable giving the ball away and leading to a goal is a defender making a stupid mistake or a keeper. So we were kind of all more in it. Um, and, you know, egos started to fade away a small bit um, which was better for the team you know all around because it was a tight a tight bunch and you think of the fans that were there week in week out I used to love the fans and love playing in Underhill and all the people involved you know in the background in the staff in you know in, in the bar you know we were all playing for them as well and I think some lads didn't understand that and they were just showing up you know playing for themselves so um, but yeah I think the, the changeover needed to happen, as I, as I was saying. Yeah, and there was certainly was a, a big turning point again. 
I think the first few results, it took a little bit of time for everything to knit together. And then we, um, then we played Bradford. And I think Bradford were on a really good run of form. They were at the top of the table, clearly quite a big club. And then they turned up at Underhill and we've turned them over 4-1. Uh, you got a goal. I think Albert got a goal and a, and a few others as well, obviously, to make it four. Um, that sort of game where it really did click, it felt like, you know, again, why is this team not doing better? Obviously, you've, you've sort of spoken about it. But, um, you know, when it, when, it, when it was good, you must have, must have found that really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like, I think sometimes the mentality can be, okay, like, the game where we went two 0 up away to Rochdale, okay, you know they get a goal and then mindset changes. It's because of previous circumstances and you know what that feels like, and it, you go into your shell then. But I think there was a couple of games where we got a goal or we got two, and then an opposition team would score, but mindset had changed where we're just going, okay, well let's get the next goal. Then that's three one. That the game changes totally. Then it's four one. So there was games there that we really kicked on, and you really saw. The, the quality of the squad and Barnet um, and why some lads went on to play at a much higher level. Well, we, there were some additions to the squad as well. And I think most notably for, probably for us, it'd be interesting to hear from your side was probably Gary Green um, for a couple of reasons. I think on, on one level, the defence was just so much more organised. And even from little things like when the, when the teams were warming up, he had, he had little things he would do in the warm-up that you could see were different. Just getting that back for... Very, very organised, very, very aligned. Everyone knew their role. So it was the, there was what he brought on the pitch. I think some of the, the younger players as well on the back got a lot from that as well, you could tell. But also Gary Breen, the name. Um, this is a guy who scored in the World Cup. He, um, for, I think for, for Barnet fans, oh, okay, he had some lower league experience as well, but he's, he was a Premier League, or he come from the Premier League, he played in the Premier League uh, before. It was huge for us. As a fellow Irishman as well, um, was that a big deal for you? Was he a bit, were you a bit of a fan of his or...? Yeah, yeah, I, I tracked his career. Obviously, you know, he's a name that everyone over here would know. Um, and I think it was really refreshing that he came to Barnet. Some people probably thought, oh, okay, you know, he's getting a few bob here or he knows someone and, you know, he's coming towards the end. It's not going to be as important to him. Wow, it was the total opposite. And I think he really gained respect from everyone by leading by example. You know, sometimes it wasn't a good example for some people, but... You know, he used to come in and he used to have a watch, and we used to say, "Is that linked up to the space station or what?" <laughs> huge thing, and it would go up, beep, 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 and we'd be gone on a warm up. The warm up could be like a bleed test. We'd be at, and like for one stride for Gary Breen, it was about fifteen for everyone else. So we're <laughs> it's two laps of the whole hive, and we're thinking, "This guy, will you ever calm down?" But he had that really high class, um, you know, attitude and commitment where he played at the highest level, and he ended up bringing people up to that level rather than him getting dragged down to a standard where he probably wasn't used to. And then for his standard to drop to that level, he kind of raised everyone. So I think it was great, you know, as a squad and as a defense, I think the lads would have learned a lot off him. As you said there, even in pre-match or games, he used to have certain mantras that he'd be going over and over and over again and, and lads just clicked and, and they got it. Um, I, his organisation, his talking, you know, when I said little nuggets that you take from managers, you can take from players as well. And he's one that is, you know, even as a commentator, now you hear him on, on Five Live and, you know, talk sport and all that. He doesn't miss a beat ever with his talking. I, he's so well-spoken and illiterate, but he used to do that on the pitch. So all the messages were really clear. 
where sometimes I'd be talking, lads wouldn't understand what I'm saying because I'm talking <laughs> so quick and they don't understand me. But he was always really, really clear and you knew exactly what he, he wanted from you. Um, he was my roommate for, you know, a good few of the, the away trips and he opened up to me and told me about his time at West Ham where he nearly, he got a move to, to Inter Milan and yeah. it was like 23rd hour that it, it collapsed and, you know, to come back from that then and, and you know, to be representing Ireland and, you know, it was just great to hear them kind of things. Um, but for a club, we needed his um, his expertise and what he brought to the team at that stage for the defensive block, you know, not only the the, the, the defensive four, but the two holding midfielders, you know, Mark Hughes would have been there at the time. Um, I think Bish had gone at that stage, um, but there was, you know, players there that he controlled with his voice and talking, um, which made his his job easier. But um, now really, really enjoyed playing under, with him and under him. Um, and, you know, it's obviously a coup for, for Barnett to say that they had, you know, the, that player, the stock of that player, like, Absolutely right. Um, and from a footballing perspective, um, clearly due to the start of the season and, and a bit of trouble during the middle of the season as well, we're still, you know, in, in, in and around the, the wrong end of the table. Um, but you personally, you're chipping in with a lot of important goals across the course of the season. You know, you've got Chester where you scored two, Lincoln where you scored two. And one game that really stood out was away at Gillingham. Uh, when we won two, you know, I think you, I think there's a penalty you might have scored that day, but, um, is you know you're chipping in with a lot of goals that eventually help us help us stay up. Um, there was another a sort of big name that signed for us at the time that was Paul Furlong, um, 40 years old, still going, still looked like one of the fittest guys on the pitch. You know, what was he like to play with um, and get experience from? How much did you learn from him? No, I think it was the same as Gary. I think we really got two guys coming towards the end of their career who were unbelievable characters but also had that grit and determination to keep going no matter what. I think he was a real inspiration for me at how he looked at 42, you know, how he looked after himself, you know, how, how he structured his day around. It was all I got to do with the game on, on a Saturday. But I think Ian really helped him to, to get the best out of him because, you know, Paul knew his, his body better than anyone. So... Ian would always listen to how he felt. You know, he always probably wanted to train even more, and and Paul and Ian would put him back. So we always got the best out of him at the weekend. And I suppose for me playing with him, it was kind of big guy, little guy, kind of quicker guy playing off him. So between him and the two guys on the wing, you know, I, I had a all I needed to do really was get in the box or make a run, and and I'd be found. So. It was fantastic. The game that you run about Gillingham, I think we clicked there. You know, that was, you know, really nice. Um, I, I can even go back to, you know, what the crowd sounded like, the smell of the grass. You know, when you kind of pinpoint some of them games, that was one that really stood out for me. I remember scoring the penalty. That was one of the things where I went in as well and I was thinking, okay, I'm not going to get that many chances or the chances I do get, can I score? So can I get the first penalty and, and score it? And I remember scoring the goal after 60 seconds or whatever it was in Accrington at home. And then I got a penalty, missed the penalty, but then Ish, Ishmael Ikubu scored on the rebound. So I was thinking, yeah. hey, that got, got me away with it. I think the next penalty, someone someone took it anyway. Did they score? Did they miss? I don't know. I was just waiting for my next opportunity to to uh, to, to get the ball again. And, then, and I remember the next time I got it, I practiced every day after training. 
and I became kind of a, a penalty expert at that stage. You know, I'd, I'd have my place where I put it or down the middle or a little scoop or somewhere where that really added to my goal tally as well. And I knew that. So um, I, rem- I can nearly remember where that goal or the, the penalty went in against Gillingham. I probably remember a lot of my goals from, from my time at, at Barnet. Um, but the signing of Paul was, was a big coup and great for myself to be able to learn from him as well. Um, and, a, and a great lad. Um, I think his son is doing decent things now at the minute as well. So yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, but like I said, that Gillingham one in particular, I think, stood out as that that game sort of showed maybe that we had the potential to go and kick on in the next season. And we're talking a moment about how we started to at least at the beginning. Um, but you know, the season finished. Given the way it started, we were quite relieved that it finished on a bit of a bit of a nothing end of the season we had a few sort of meaningless games towards the end because we secured safety against Bournemouth I think just after that Gillian game um, and you know stayed up quite comfortably in the end and there was a lot of optimism going into the new season but obviously before that end of the first season uh, you won the Player of the Year award which you know in your first season back in England first season playing first team football in the Football League um, how much of a confidence boost to you was that to be recognised in that way? Oh brilliant I, I remember um my dad coming over for one of the home games towards the end of the season um, and I hurt my hamstring or I, I think I missed the last kind of group of games, which is disappointing because I probably, I got to 18 goals and I wanted to get 20 or, or surpass the, the 20. So um, I kind of ran out of games at that stage, but, you know, to be recognised um, with the player of the year at the end of the season was great. Um, it was just about focus on getting fit now again, coming in and, you know, hitting the ground running. There was obviously, um, you know, Ian would have been on to me and people in the club the saying, look, keep your head down and keep doing what you're doing. There's probably a move coming early on in, in the new season. So um, done a bit of work, came back and first day of pre-season, I fractured one of the bones in my in my foot. I'm thinking, oh God. So I had already planned. I, I was living in, in Enfield in the first season, um, rented an apartment and I had such a good relationship with Robert Whipple and his family that I moved in with them the start of that next season, I had all planned that I probably didn't want to get a 12-year lease anywhere, or 12-year, 12-month lease anywhere yeah. that might tie me down because I could have been in the first month or first two months of the season, I could have been gone somewhere. So I moved in there and then the injury obviously killed it. Um, I ended up staying probably... We're going to ask you about that, that kind of that close season period as well. So uh, you'd already mentioned some of the other offers that you'd had uh, maybe a couple of years back uh, at higher levels. Obviously, the, the kind of some level of ambition to play at a high level. What was there any interest that summer at all from uh, from, from bigger clubs then? Towards, yeah, towards the end of, um, so I probably would have been up there, eighteen goals ish, uh, might have been sixteen league goals. I was up there anyway, and in the charts, I think Lafondra was two more to me, or there was a couple here and there. But um, you know, I, I probably missed the first seven or eight games, nine games, if you think coming on up in um, in my first game away to Grimsby, um, so. You know, it was probably 10 games there where I could have scored more goals and, and been the top scorer. So there was, there was I think Roy Keane was the manager at Ipswich at the time and it was that was touted. And But who knows, because these are all, you know, paper talk and, you know, I saw this agent there, you know, some fellow with a jacket that he got off his great-granddad and, you know, has a Man United badge on it. He's a scout for Man United. And, you know, <laughs> it, totally, it goes off the wall there. But um, we definitely knew that there was interest and that's kind of why I managed my life basically going into the next season just taking them things into but you know it didn't materialize and you know probably I probably 
annoy the shit out of the, the Whipples. I was there for the whole <laughs> season. They probably, will this guy ever go? Um, <laughs> um, I was so lucky. You probably, you could probably tell in my football how I played that I, you know, I was really happy where I was. They made it all that happier for me. You know, the Whipples as a family is like home from home. Margaret used to cook. I probably came back that pre-season, at, you know, I can't remember how many games I missed from the start of the season, but I definitely came back about two stone heavier from her cooking, her sheer cooking alone. It was <laughs> puddings and gravy. And I was like, oh God, I'm ever going to be able to run around again. But <laughs> I think you could tell the happiness and how much I enjoyed my football was because of the, the environment I was in. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose hitting the ground running didn't happen at all for me. Um, and, and I suppose you'd probably lead into the to this question at some point in the interview, but the Shrewsbury um, thing then kind of just after Christmas or was it just before Christmas um, that I ended up turning down. But, you know, that was probably on the back of, there was an Irish connection with Shrewsbury and that Tuesday night early on in my first season with Barnet, I, you know, tore them to shreds basically for the first, first half anyway. Um, so I was kind of on their radar all the time, but, you know, then being in the same division and, um, you know, it kind of didn't appeal to me at the time, but um, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, so there's a, a bit going on in the background, perhaps, and also in that close season, the injuries as well maybe made it harder to hit the ground running. And actually, you started the season in and out of the team due to injuries. And um, yeah. played the first game you played, I think, was you started the Notts County game at the end of August um, and came off actually for Jake Hyde to come on right at the end and get the winner. Um, and then the roles reversed later that week at Northampton Town on the Friday night. Um, where you got your first goal of the season, which is definitely a memorable one for a lot of Barnet fans. It's, that, that put us in our highest league position, I think, in the last 20 years, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember that game. Uh, yeah, where, so you come on and um, put the ball through the keeper's legs to make it 3-1 um, and seal the win. Uh, you know, that night, I think, it's still talked about really fondly by all Barnet fans who were there. There's a big, big lot of us behind the goal that night. It's 11 years ago now, and it's still, like you said, like the Ginning game, one of those where you can really remember a lot of the details and whatnot. Um, and we, we really kind of felt that it was the start of something. Was there that feeling from you and maybe in the dressing room that this was going to be the springboard where we to kick on and really go somewhere with that team? Yeah, I think so, because we had obviously added to the squad. So, you know, that night should have been somewhere where we pinpointed and said, let's push on from here or, you know, let's finish as high as we can. But for whatever reason, we had a dip in form again. I kind of remember that night, obviously I scored and we were, I remember the, the celebrations we were given in the crowd was buzzing but just I remember balling from the left hand side and Furlong just put his foot out and guided in with a volley I was thinking ah, what a goal that was yeah, yeah. outrageous yeah. goal um, but yeah like as I said we should have kicked on from there um, but you know as it was to be for the, for the two seasons it, you know there were difficult times and, and great times but um, you know it's definitely something that I, I still uh, remember fondly that night and it was only a few years later when I was at Exeter, I came on quite late as well and got the winner um, to beat them down there as well. And it was in that end where I scored the third goal that night. So <laughs> when I scored that goal and I celebrated with the fans, I thought of Barron at that night. <laughs> it was on a Saturday. It was, it was, it was like pure nostalgia. It was, it was, it was class. It's just, yeah, that, that, that um, Northampton seems to have a pretty good one for us as well. Because not only that game, we had a few, we had, we had a few, a few nights there that were, that were pretty good. I, I distinctly remember the goal that you scored. It was, uh, I think the um, defender headed it, didn't quite go as far and you just popped in and knocked it through the keeper's legs and like you say, 
we were, we were buzzing. The goalkeeper, if you watch it back as well, I remember it, it seems to be in slow motion. The goalkeeper goes for it and then changes and his mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just and you just mugged him off. <laughs> I came on and I was thinking it was a role reversal of what had happened before. And obviously, you know, me and Jake were, were fighting for a place in the team. So just come on and run around and see if I can get a chance. And, uh, you know, I, I was delighted to score that night. And, you know, it was obviously a great night for the club. But we should have pushed on as, you know, we're saying it should have been a stepping stone for, for bigger and better things, really. Yeah, it was, it was, we sort of talked about it in the season before, but was it, was it down to some of the attitude of the players and maybe some of the players in the team thinking that they were going to go further and they just needed to turn up? I guess it was quite similar to, to what we spoke about before in the previous season. Yeah, I think it's like that was during the season. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it was. Um, maybe it was just the experience of the year before and you know if a couple of games go against you you kind of tumbleweeds the other way then rather than you know that was a highlight um but it's hard to pinpoint whether it was the attitude whether it was you know personnel or it, it, it's hard to, to know exactly but it was probably a mixture of, of of a lot of things and trying to keep you know certain players happy and you know um yeah it's, it's hard to, to get yeah. back yeah. It always felt what it was. It always felt that season like we had a really good game plan as a plan A, but then when things went against us a bit, we didn't really have too many different ways to, to mix it up. It seemed that we kind of we did what we did well, and when that didn't work, we fell into a bit of trouble. And I guess, especially sort of get, as the season goes on, especially you know not jumping ahead too far, when you start playing teams for the second time, for example, or you, you know everyone's got a chance. You know, after a couple of months, when everyone starts getting an idea of what's going on, people have seen some games and stuff, maybe that caught us out a little bit, but, but, it, but it, you know, didn't at the beginning when, when no one looked to expect. I think you might be right. Um, I suppose we had a certain style of play um, where probably back five and then front five, so there were, there were two different blocks, but the front five probably were just had license to go and do what they wanted. Um, so when it, you know, we're, if we're 2 nil up and it gets to 2-1, has to change slightly because you know the most susceptible time you are to concede another goal is straight after that so do we sit in and you know so maybe the game plan was one of the issues um but you know we had fantastic players who you could say had free roles in the team sometimes that if they were more structured it could have helped the team you know there's always to and fro in a game where you have 10 minutes spell where you have to sit in and have to dig in as you're saying maybe that we, we never had them because we were just playing the same way all the time get forward get up and try and get back and you know probably left ourselves susceptible at, at times so it's hard to judge one thing but that's that's definitely a fair point yeah and I think obviously I've written it down here that we, we sort of barneted the life out of the rest of that season it very, felt very barnet the way that we had that real high at the beginning and we kind of hung on in and around it until the end of September, the start of October. And then we did our kind of standard middle of the season collapse that over a few seasons seemed to occur. And it went four months without a win um, before we finally beat Aldershot. You got two in that game. And a couple of weeks later as well, um, one that stands out was Port Vale away, uh, which kind of an away win that came from nowhere. I think it might have been the first away win since that Northampton game in September. Um, that, that was obviously a really tough period we'd come through. But we'd started so well that relegation seemed a long way off all the way through. Was there, at what point in that season was the kind of doubt maybe creeping in or any fear 
on the training ground about relegation, or was that not really talked about because of the position we got ourselves into? No, it wasn't. Re- you wouldn't really talk about that. But I suppose four months without a win is a is a long time. So it's about rebuilding that confidence again. But I suppose you know sporadic wins here and there. Then after that, kind of you know over the whole season, um, it, our our average would have been you know probably you know where you finish is you know a good judgment of, of what's gone on in the league and you know we had that really high and then a, a bunch of games where it just wasn't going for us at all we never got back on the horse we you know that Aldershot game I remember that and um, it's actually um, a, a guy from Cove his son plays he was on loan from Bristol City I'm sure and I remember the first goal was a toe poke and then the second one was a header and he always says to me you know I killed his loan spell at that club because the first game and, you know, we put two past him. But um, it was probably, I think, I remember Lee Harrison chatting a half-time in that game. I think the start of that game, the day centre, we centred, I can't remember, and there was a challenge over by our bench or their bench. And I went in and I left my foot in on a fella, like, you know, to say, okay, this is us now, like, we're, we're in for this. And I remember him, him pinpointing that and saying, the reason we won that game is because I went in and I fucking set the tone and, and kicked the fella and said, okay, you know, we're not taking this shit anymore. And we, we kind of got a, an upscale from that, from that win. And, you know, it was sporadic wins in throughout the season, but we never reached that high of um, the Northampton game, which is, you know, disappointing. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't get relegated again that season. Um, we kind of left it late. It was probably, we were running out of games towards the end. But, you know, as I said, the, the individual class we had in the team kind of shone in them periods of time where we needed to, grind out a bit of the wind where we needed to, to be safe. Um, personally, it was kind of with that Shrewsbury thing, you know, Ian had come to me at the time and said, look, the club could really do with the money. Um, you know, we're in that relegation zone. Um, you know, I, I probably would have, Shrewsbury would have been in around the playoffs at that time. They wanted to push on, either get automatic or at least get in, in the playoff or secure a playoff spot. So I kind of had a, had a few weeks where, probably reflected in the football that okay I didn't really want to be playing in that league again the the next year and I was tied in to coming towards the end of my uh, contract with Barnet and being tied in with my agent at the time and I wanted to split with that if I signed for Shrewsbury it would have been a three-year deal that was another three years with the agent I felt that league too I didn't need an agent you know I needed an advisor or someone who knew where there wasn't that tie of, you know, contract and money and all that kind of stuff. So um, that was one of the, the reasons why I didn't go at that time. And obviously I, I would have been a free agent towards the end of that season. Then I, I still wanted to stay and fight with Barnett and, you know, keep them up. And, you know, it was in my hands to go and release a bit of money for the club, but it was also in my hands to stay and fight and try and score the goals to keep the club up. So, um, you know, the balance was there, but, I, I thought I made the right decision anyway. I think I mean, we were thinking back to that time, and I'm pretty sure it was public that the clubs had agreed the deal. Uh, so it was down to, I guess, down to you at that point. And you've kind of talked that through a little bit already about what was going through your head. But as a player generally, when you find out that the clubs have agreed a deal around you, um, does that unsettle you at all? Does that, how does that leave you kind of feeling that they're you know, happy to do the deal? No, I suppose that, that's fine. Um, you know, it's 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 good in the club's mind where they end up, and the money would have been great, obviously. Um, but it's still down to the player. You know, if I say I don't want to go, 
it can then cause friction. You know, will I play every week or will they hold that against me? And, and you know, it's vice versa. But, you know, um, it was, I, I would have chatted to, I think they agreed the fee, which, you know, they said no to 100, it was 150, there was a two, or I don't know what it, what it was anyway, but it, it crept up and the club said, okay, we'd be willing to leave the player go at that stage. And, well, I would have had good chats with Cleantos and Ian at the time to say, look, this is my, this is why I wouldn't want to go now. And, you know, I'm willing to, to stay here and score the goals to, to keep the club up. So, um, I, you know, that's the impact I wanted. I think at the time as well, you know, it speaks like you were very popular with the fans, obviously, for what you did with all your goals and everything. And I think there was an understanding from everyone, kind of, that it was it was your choice. I think you'd made the move to Shrewsbury, you'd have gone with everyone's best wishes because you'd done a job for us and got the money in. When it was kind of made public that you were the one who chose the deal not to happen, everyone was happy you'd stayed anyway because, you know, we'd still got you for the rest of that season to score goals. And I think as well, as Barnet fans, we're used to seeing players who do well go on and move on to better things. I think probably we could all see and I could be wrong on this, that in your own mind, you're taking care of yourself as a player. And that, yes, Shrewsbury in the same league, if you do if you do a good job for the second half of that season, your chance to go and play maybe championship football or something along those lines might still be there. And I think there was no certainly no resentment from the Barnet fans at all. And like I said, actually, I think the Shrewsbury thing was like end of January transfer window. Those games against Aldershot and Port Vale were straight after that. So it clearly hadn't impacted on your performance yeah. uh, for the club. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're dead right. And I would have been really upfront to anyone who would ask me at the time and said, look, it, personally, this is why I'm doing it. Um, you know, I had a good affiliation with, with the fans. So, you know, if, I, if I'm to stay at the club, I obviously have a demand on myself to keep the performances or keep the level, the standard that I had. Because if that dips, then the fans will obviously say, you know, he didn't make the move. We're not getting the money in. And, you know, it's a bucket of shit now. <laughs> but... What I wanted was to to prove that you know I'm staying to score goals and help the club, but obviously help my career as well. That I'm a free agent at the end of the season, and I have more options than Shrewsbury at the time. So going back to the football, um, the the note here says uses the word hideous just to describe our form at the end of that season. Um, I remember we went to we went away to Bradford again and. Uh, there was a point of time in that game where we were safe, and this was about six or seven games away from the end of the season. There was a point at which we were safe, and then I think they scored in the last minute to to to, uh, to win the game and um, mean that we were still in in that mess. And we kept losing, we kept losing, and then we ended up going to Grimsby. And I, I used the word again. That game was a hideous experience for probably everyone involved in Barnet. Certainly, from a supporters' perspective, it was a it was a, um, a hideous experience. Um, from your perspective, what do you remember of that game? I remember it being a real pressure cauldron atmosphere. The ground was full, and uh, when they scored both of their goals, they both they invaded the pitch both times, as I recall. So, from your perspective, what was that like as a player to be playing in a game like that? Yeah, I think you know we had done all the preparation leading up to that game, but the feeling of you know a full house and you know it was quite hostile and you know they were fighting for their lives and um we just didn't show up you know i can even think of that game myself how i felt you know something some mornings you wake up you're you're full of energy and you could run all day sometimes you wake up and you feel like your legs are full of lead it was one of them games where i think the overall majority of the squad felt that way and just didn't perform kind of i don't know and and them two goals killed us and your heads are down. You're thinking, oh God, here we go. 
um, you know, and it could have spiraled out. But I think that game then was okay. Um, are we men now, or are we just going to leave it happen and, and, and get relegated? So I think that was a big game for two different reasons. But you know, I can remember that game: cold, windy, an awful place to go, and you know, their fans impacted how we played as well. You know, it was it was fairly hostile. The ref probably had an impact because of the decision he was given based on the crowd's um, pressure. But, you know, it was a pressure cauldron and, you know, it affected us in a way that we weren't able to perform on, on that day in such a big, crucial game. But I think after that, something springed, you know, we had a couple of chats where we had, you know, good, experienced people in the dressing room who were able to catch people and say, look, it's not over yet. Where it could have been for, you know, a team that didn't have the, that, that kind of grit and determination in the squad. But I do remember that game like it was it was yesterday as well, and it was an awful game. I think for us, the, the vision, the, the police horses on the pitch after their goal and stuff, it was uh, no, crazy. Yeah, at least you didn't have to walk back to the train station afterwards. As a player, you're waiting for one of them fans to come in, and you're looking around thinking, "Who's getting a dig here?" Because we're we're already, you know. And there was probably more aggression in our game that way towards our fans than there was actually on the pitch. It never transmitted that way across. We just kind of rabbits and headlights. For, for all the the reasons there, but you know it's tough to to know exactly what happens in those situations because you know you a team can flourish in that um, environment, but too I think t- the overall um, squad of players there was too many that got caught up in that in in the atmosphere that day. If it's one or two, you kind of get out of it, and the rest drag you along. But there was too many of us, I think, um, and you know, Gary Gary would have spoke really well after that game and and picked us up. Um, from his experiences, like so, um, that was a, like as a fan. If I'm watching that game, what a disappointment! And, and to see all the, the shenanigans going on there as well, as if they won the, the World Cup. <laughs> well, it was, it was it was quite a miserable day all round, and we did well to get out of there unscathed, I think. But yeah, uh, I it was it was it was clearly it was clearly a real shame um, to see them lose away at Burton <laughs> the next week and, and allow. <laughs> The pressure to come off us a little bit when we beat Rochdale. I think we scored the last minute, didn't we? It was, yeah, Jarrett. It was, it was Jarrett, wasn't it? So, you, so that was quite a nice uh, little celebration. That I was going to say, do you remember? So I remember that game when they played that. And right before the end of that game, you can see the Burton players starting to edge towards where the uh, where the change room is, like the, the way out off the pitch, because they'd obviously, I guess, everyone had seen what had gone on the week before and, and what it like. And so that you can see the players um, with, when the injury time comes up. Thinking, what, how do I get out of this? Well, they uh, smashed the place up. They smashed the place up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I wouldn't blame them. <laughs> if I was a now, I would have been playing right wing, up near yeah. the <laughs> ready to go, yeah. But um, just like in the space of two weeks there, or however long it was after we played Grimsby, and then the change around. But that's football. That's what I'm trying, that's what I said at the start, where you just never know. Football is, that's why we love it. That's why we go week in, week out, because you can beat anyone and you can lose to anyone. So, Who's to know what's happened? So it was it was a massive change around, and that became or that was instilled in us after that Grimsby game, which was one of the one of the worst games some players had ever played in their career. But to be able to pick it up and, and to win, you know, win at the death against you know the following week, and for the result to go w- with us as well, it was was brilliant, and that kicked us on a small bit. And I think that we were we safe a game or two before the end of the season, which we probably thought it would have went right to the wire, and. Um, so, you know, another season where we where we stayed up, but um, some really big highs and really big lows as well. 
I was going to say, obviously, just before that Grimsby game, I think it was the day before, maybe two days before, was the change in manager as well, which at the end of that season. So, obviously, Ian Hendon had had, had that really good, probably first six, seven months, if all, all told, and then it had gone wrong for whatever reason. I remember just before we entered Grimsby, we'd lost to Accrington, and he, he'd been uh, replaced by Paul Fairclough for those last two games. Um, you know, you talk about the change in the in the dressing room. Was Fairclough big in kind of altering that mentality, which obviously is quite as, is interesting given a year and a half before, whatever he was offering wasn't working. Yeah, he had, he changed it up. It was a lot of kind of squad unity and we needed to stick together and be together more. It was still that kind of, you know, he'd be doing visualisation and opening up as players to the squad. I think that was big and it, it just had an effect. I think when one manager goes and one manager comes in, it just has a spark in some way because it's, a new lease of life for the whole squad. Maybe I haven't got in in 10 games here, but, you know, I played well under this manager and he's had to come back in. Maybe I have a sniff and it just everyone's level raises a small bit. And I think that happened and, you know, it, it, it happened the year before with Ian coming in and then it happened again when, um, when Paul came back in. So, it, you know, it was obviously great for the club to have such a figure there and ready to, to step in also. Because uh, I think, did he go, he, he, he had a job anyway, he went yeah, he, he was in the background for quite a long time, uh, yeah. in, and around, in and around the club. Um, so yeah, as we said, obviously he came in when we kept set up against Rochdale the week after. Um, obviously for you, it must have been a strange feeling at the end of that game, because I'm assuming you know, your contract was coming to an end. Were you very aware you know, when that whistle went, that was your time at Barnet at an end? And um, how did you feel at that point? Yeah, um, we were all due to, to go on holidays. There was probably 15 of us, 14 of us maybe. Um, and at that time, there would have been a lot of players out of contract or vying for contracts. And I think it was maybe, let's say it was a Monday, we were supposed to be going away. And Wednesday, the club had organised to, to meet everyone and go through contracts and all that kind of stuff. So everyone pulled out. So I think it was me and Mark Hughes who, who went away. And we were the only two. I remember... Mark's team was supposed to go like a good bunch of the squad now and we're in the airport waiting to go and they're calling all the lads names because they had all checked in and paid their their you know, their flights and all that and I can't remember now exactly what what Steenie's name is but it was me <laughs> and Mark were cracking up like <laughs> Bartholomew Alexandra Steen or something like that. I can't remember exactly but we were in in stitches but I think um I knew I was leaving the club at that stage and, you know, Tony had, had phoned me a couple of times and offered me a new contract. But I think I, I just said, look, I'm just going to leave it, go back home and, and see what my options were. Um, I obviously parted ways with my agent at the time and I had a guy who used to manage me back here and he was looking after me at the time, giving me like kind of mentorship. So, um, it, it transpired that I I went to Bristol City and done pre-season with them and Albert was there at the time as well. So we were staying in the same hotel and, and training and, um, you know, he went on to really good things there. Um, and I, I ended up at the end of that pre-season just going out to Exeter. Um, but, you know, my, my time at the club came to an end and I really loved it. But, it, you know, personally as well, I'm looking to progress and play at a higher level and play at the highest level I, as I could. Um, you know, to this day, I still keep in touch with with Nikki Deverdix. I still Margaret um, Whipple, who's Rob's Rob Whipple's, uh, who's the kit man. 
his his mother she she came over to my wedding I flew her over on in 2013 we still keep in touch if I'm, if I'm ever in London I pop down and see them so I I made some great um connections and and you know lifelong um friendships at my time there and I, I loved it but I knew you know you know what at the end of that season that's that's done really yeah, so obviously, so you ended up signing for Exeter, um, playing in League One. You were there for a good few seasons, and then uh, obviously you went back and played again for Cork City in Ireland. Uh, in terms of your career as a whole, where does your two years at Barnet rank in terms of where you feel you played your best football and had most success? Yeah, I'd say it ranks right up there because, as I said, the style of play and and the players I had, you know, my my style was always I just wanted to score goals. Um, I remember early on in my Barney career, we played a, a cup game, or I think it was a Mickey Mouse Cup game against someone. I can't even remember. I scored three goals, and I was trying to say to was it Keith, um, who would have been the the guy writing for the program? Uh, I'm trying to think who. Uh, you took David Bloomfield, something like that. Not not David Bloomfield. It Might have been me. One <laughs> <laughs> I think he passed away some years. Oh, Dennis. Ago. Oh, Dennis Sydney. Dennis, yeah, sorry, yeah. So I remember doing an interview with him and I said, you know, I'm obviously buzzing to score my three goals and, you know, that's added to the tally. He was like, that, that doesn't go on your tally at all. And I was like, it, doesn't, it does on my tally, you know. <laughs> the way, that's what I wanted, really. I wanted to score as many goals as I could and it was a perfect team scenario where just hold the ball up, get it wide and get in the box and try and do my damage. So it ranks up there really highly because where I was located, Stansted, my, my dad could fly over to nearly every home game, you know, try and get to some away games if he could. But, you know, everyone really enjoyed it there. And, you know, as I said, I made some some friends for life there as well. So it does rank up there really highly. What are you doing with yourself now, John? Are you uh, still involved in football? How involved in football are you these days? Um, yeah, I, I still play. I've been trying to play for the last two years, but I, I've... I had a start. I have a startup business, um, a sportswear company. It's called Suma Sportswear, and um, so that's two years running now. So I've just been every minute of the day. I have a startup human as well. She's eighteen months old. So <laughs> business and a startup human is. <laughs> I haven't really had the time to play football, but I'm trying to get back in and play with one of the local clubs here, um, and try and help out and give as much experience or you know um, what I've learned over my career to, to the young lads and try and make an impact there. Um, but yeah, I'm still involved in sports due to the, the sportswear company. And Jacko is one of my competitors as well. So um, hopefully I'll be doing a Barnet kit and team wear in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to kind of conclude and finish off, uh, this podcast, all the guests we've had on so far have all been players who played at Underhill. Uh, three of us were big, massive fans from that time. We don't go as much anymore uh, since the club moved over to the Hive. Just wondered, like, from your perspective as a player, what are your memories like of Undeal? Because you would have played at many much better grounds, but where does it rank in terms of kind of its, its uniqueness or its own character? I, lo- I absolutely love this. It's uniqueness because the slope, everyone used to hate the slope. Opposition players that I played with over the years and they're coming to, to the Barnet and I'm chatting to them before the game and they're saying, oh God the hill and I was, I was always like there's no hill I was like I don't feel that hill at all I suppose if I went back there later years I, I might have felt that hill but I suppose when I signed and I came to the club and I got a look at the pitch pitch was immaculate you know I think Wes at the time was was looking after it and I think Arsenal used to use it for the reserves yes. it was immaculate 
okay, they say there's a hill in it, but I, I thought, okay, the stadium as a whole, not great, till it came to match day, and the people that filled it over on the right-hand side, crossing the dugouts and in behind the goals, it, it's had a, a real, you know, tight fit, or, you know, the, the fans are nearly on the pitch. So the atmosphere, even if there was 2,000 people there, was massive compared to, you know, some 10,000, 15-seater stadiums. They don't have that same atmosphere. So I really enjoyed it. And, you know, the, the pitch always stands out to me as just being immaculate and, you know, dying to, to, to play there, really. Did you ever get back there after you left Barnet? Yeah, we played um, against Barnet with Exeter. I think it was a couple of years later. Um, went down, I think we, we won two or three mm-hmm. that night. Um, but yeah, I think... I assisted Jamie Jordan in two of the goals. I remember Rob and the guys all being there and saying, thank God he didn't score, like, you know, <laughs> whatever. But, um, yeah, I enjoyed being back and I got I got a good ovation, um, ovation off, the, off the fans, which was, you know, which was always good. Um, but, yeah, like, memories of there are always really good, really positive, and anyone that ever came over, friends, family, loved it as well. I really enjoyed yeah. it. And have you been over to the Hive since it's been sort of built into the empire that it is now? Not into the stadium, no. I obviously, you would have trained and um, we wouldn't have been playing there at the time, but would know what the structure was like of, of that place. But never being back um, is something that, you know, when COVID heads off now, um, it's something that, you know, I'll be going over to visit Margaret and, and, and all the guys again. And, you know, I'd love to get to one of the games. Well, we've said Johnson. We've said to everyone we've spoken to that you, you know, if you do find yourself over and you do fancy a game, the beers are on us. Uh, and uh, yeah, it'd be great just to say thank you, not just for, for today, but also for the memories uh, that, that you gave us when you played for us. Brilliant. Yeah, def- I'll definitely take you up on that. I still don't drink, so I'll take you up on a, on a still water. Even, <laughs> even better. Well, as Craig said there, John, cheers for, well, cheers for your time today, obviously. Cheers for all the goals and the memories. Um, good luck in your new ventures now. Thank you. And I hope to, as I said, you wearing Suma Sportswear jerseys in the near future. <laughs> we'll keep our eyes out. Absolutely. <laughs> guys. Cheers, John. Thank you. Thanks, cheers. I'll take Robinson on. He's Most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan, second, Lovely stuff from Curry, not a bad try.